before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. The All-Star has passed. It is officially basketball season, and we are headed to the home stretch of both the college and pro hoops regular seasons. BetOnline is the number one place to stop for all the odds, totals, and player performance props. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up and get a 50% welcome bonus when you use the promo code BLEAV. B-L-E-A-V. BetOnline, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of The Take It. Easy Podcast, live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is March 3rd, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is you may be listening. We've got a wonderful show planned for you here today. Our friend Juju Talks Sports from the Slump Buster podcast will join us later on in the show. We actually recorded this a couple weeks ago, but they are evergreen topics uh, around Trevor Bauer coming up here today, which obviously has different connotations from Evergreen because these Trevor Bauer stories, while they are still relevant, uh, the Trevor Bauer case has kind of been swallowed a little bit by Major League Baseball, which is actually where I wanted to start today on the podcast is around Major League Baseball. And don't worry, this will tie into football in a second, but the thing I wanted to start off with when it comes to Major League Baseball is talking about one Mike Trout. And I wanted to talk about Mike Trout because this may be one of the last chances we get to talk about Mike Trout in this context. Because I've found Mike Trout fascinating for years as the first wonder kid of baseball that I remember. I grew up you know, the very end of Derek Jeter's run with the Yankees when the Yankees were getting ready to tear the team down. They'd already won their championships. This was a, you know, for Yankee standards, a low period for the franchise. And Derek Jeter, you know, still to this day might be the most famous baseball player in the world. But the first superstar of my childhood that I saw make their major league debut, dominate the sport at 21 years old, was Mike Trout. Mike Trout was the first superstar born of my earliest generation. And now Mike Trout is kind of the old guy in baseball. Like, he's not super old at this point, but Mike Trout is now 31 years old. And it baffled me to find out that Mike Trout is 31 years old because Mike Trout was the wonder kid for years and years and years. He won MVP after MVP in baseball. For years, I said, 
Mike Trout is better at what he does in his sport than anyone else is at what they do in their sport. I think the close equivalent is Aaron Donald as a defensive tackle. There are other great defensive tackles. Nobody's even in the stratosphere of Aaron Donald or the way we think about Steph Curry as a shooter, although Steph Curry is like light years beyond everyone else. Like Steph Curry's a whole nother example there, but Mike Trout pencil him in at number one, figure out everything else afterwards. Best player in major league baseball from about 2014 until 2019. And it was around 2020 that I got fascinated by Mike Trout during the COVID pandemic. And I'm not going to go back and find the audio, but the audio exists. It was during June of 2020. We did a Mike Trout podcast because we were incredibly bored during the pandemic and looking for topical issues like the one we're discussing here. And one of the things that I found fascinating about Mike Trout is that Mike Trout, for all the talk that people know Mike Trout for, People didn't know Mike Trout in the past, and everyone in baseball from like 2014 to 2016 complained that Mike Trout should be incredibly famous and baseball doesn't market Mike Trout correctly. That was always the big complaint. Major League Baseball doesn't market Mike Trout correctly. And Major League Baseball did the best they could with that situation. It's not like they were actively saying, yeah, we don't want to market a white guy from New Jersey to be the face of Major League Baseball because baseball falls victims to some of the same stuff that happens in the NFL where they market front-facing corporate faces as the leaders of their sport. And one of the things that's interesting about baseball and we're seeing it through this pan, uh, through this labor negotiation and through the pandemic to a certain extent, is that Major League Baseball doesn't necessarily view players on par with the status of maybe made of the NBA or the NFL because Major League Baseball never had to worry about marketing their stars. Everyone recognized the greatness of baseball players for years and years and years. Everyone knew Derek Jeter was incredibly good at baseball. Everyone knows Barry Bonds is amazing at baseball and Pedro Martinez and Randy Johnson. Everyone knew those people were great at baseball and they had name recognition to a certain extent on a national level. Like in the 90s, Jose Canseco was one of the five most famous people on the planet because he was one of the 10 best baseball players and happened to be dating Madonna. That concept doesn't exactly exist anymore, except for the possibility of Cole Tucker, who is a Pittsburgh Pirate shortstop, eight-hitter, sometimes backup, who happens to be dating Vanessa Hudgens. And this is an interesting point of Major League Baseball kind of losing its lust on a national level. Major League Baseball is a niche sport that still has an old audience from when baseball wasn't a niche sport. In the 90s and the 80s, Major League Baseball was the sport. They were first to the cable television game. They were losing their grip on America's pastime, but it wasn't like it was now with Major League Baseball, where ratings are declining every single year, uh, attendance is declining every single year, the same way it is in college football, and the same way it is in the NFL to a certain extent, but different case in the NFL, that's more for the viewing experience at home. There are less, I mean, I hang out with people all the time now. Do not give a shit about baseball. If you root for baseball, you root for baseball as a regional sport, the way people root for tennis, the way people watch um, golf, 
the way people watch Formula One, the way people watch boxing in America, the way people watch soccer. These are niche sports that select groups of people kind of pick and choose. Football is the one national sport, and I'd argue the NBA is also a national sport. Baseball is the third largest sport in America in a sport where there are only two, and you could argue one, national sport. So that's context for what I was talking about with Mike Trout. Baseball tried to market Mike Trout. They just had no audience for a national baseball player that was going to draw people in because as great as Mike Trout is, Mike Trout isn't Tiger Woods, where Tiger Woods transcends the sport around him. Hence the fact that the Anaheim Angels for eight consecutive seasons haven't been able to make the playoffs, not just with Mike Trout, but with first ballot Hall of Famer Albert Pujols for 10 years, and the next generation's great baseball star, Shohei Otani. I've said for years with the Angels, every time it gets brought up, I don't understand why the Angels aren't good enough to make the playoffs, but I can explain to you why it's the case. Major League Baseball has figured out in the post-Moneyball revolution, one player matters an incredibly minimal amount for impacting winning and losing. It is a combination of young players on extremely cheap contracts and really, really good top-end talent. That's what builds a winning baseball team. And the Angels have the top-end talent, presumably, although the Mike Trout contract... I'm sorry, the Albert Pujols contract wasn't very good. And also, uh, Anthony Rendon's contract hasn't been great. Justin Upton's making a lot of money. The Angels have never had a top prospect in the last five to six years because they've always traded their top prospects and they've had terrible pitching. The Angels have been a perpetually mediocre franchise that has been perpetually mediocre because not even having Mike Trout and now Shohei Otani can transcend being mediocre in a division, by the way, where the Houston Astros, which I will attest is the greatest baseball dynasty of the last 20 years, happen to exist at the same time in the same division. All of that's the baseball side of that, is that there is no player that can transcend the sport and bring non-baseball fans to baseball because of Mike Trout. Baseball people always knew how great Mike Trout was. And eventually the name Mike Trout got circulated as, this is the baseball player that you should know. This is the baseball player who is the great baseball player. And at a certain point, it didn't draw people into baseball by complaining people should know about Mike Trout. What ended up happening was that people who don't care about baseball associate baseball with Oh yeah, they've got that Mike Trout guy. I heard about him. Baseball does a terrible job marketing him. That's the thing that people knew Mike Trout for is like, oh, Mike Trout's the really good baseball player, right? Yeah, it doesn't lead to people watching baseball the way that Tiger Woods brought people into watching golf. It just meant people could name Mike Trout or they could name the best player on their regional team. If you're in Chicago and you don't necessarily like baseball, you know Chris Bryant, most likely, or Anthony Rizzo, even though they're both not on the team anymore. If you're in Cleveland and you don't necessarily like baseball, you probably knew who Francisco Lindor was. You probably knew who Jose Ramirez was. San Diego, everyone who doesn't give a shit about baseball knows who Fernando Tatis and Manny Machado are. Even if you don't know Machado, you know Tatis. 
the generational stars transcend within the regional markets and within the regional sport because we can look up and say, we know Shohei Otani's amazing, and Shohei Otani's the one player that could transcend baseball because he pitches and hits and it like could could genuinely transcend the sport and bring non-baseball people into baseball but the angels are also terrible this is a whole nother point about baseball the thing that's interesting about mike trout in relation to right now and why i wanted to talk about mike trout is that even as mike trout is no longer the best player in baseball mike trout still is one of the most recognizable players in baseball and mike trout is in a weird place where Mike Trout is the candidate that we would point to and say that might be a pro-management guy. That Mike Trout could get the endorsement deals, and Mike Trout could get all the things that I you know, shit on Russell Wilson for. As, Russell, as Pete Carroll says today, or yesterday, uh, there is no scenario where we're trading Russell Wilson. And I point to him and say, that one's not necessarily in your control. Now, is it, Pete? That one's in the court of Russell Wilson. If Russell Wilson is willing to make things ugly, Russell Wilson is in a great place to get out of Seattle. And so Russell Wilson hasn't been willing to make things ugly. And so for no reason would uh, for no reason would Pete Carroll have a thought that Russell Wilson would leave because Russell Wilson ain't willing to make things ugly to leave Seattle. Anyways, Mike Trout would be a candidate for all of that pro management type of stuff. A white star in a sport that wants to market its white stars while also having a giant population of Uh, Latino and Asian players who they don't market in the same way to fill the ranks. I think baseball is now close to 40% Latin. As the old Will Ferrell joke says, there's nothing more American than uh, grabbing a hot dog and a beer and watching nine people from Latin America play. Uh, You know, baseball has an incredibly large underpaid service of Latin players. And so Major League Baseball, by the way, also has a large population of underpaid white players. They just you know, market the white stars and the Latin players are not necessarily marketed in the same way by Major League Baseball. But again, they don't market nationally because Major League Baseball is a niche sport. In the markets of each teams, the best players usually end up getting marketed to those teams. That's a baseball standard. They don't have national stars anymore. Not since Derek Jeter have they had a national star. The point being, altogether, the Major League, uh, sorry, the uh, Mike Trout situation is fascinating within the context of this lockout because Mike Trout has been quiet, but Mike Trout's also just a boring guy. And so that led me to think Mike Trout is ending up being the guy who, you know, doesn't say anything interesting on this issue. But in reality, Mike Trout put out this tweet uh, today, actually, well, yesterday at the time of listening to this, I want to play. I love our game, white, you know, all the things about the fans, but he doesn't mention the fans. I know we need to get the CBA right. Instead of bargaining in good faith, Major League Baseball locked us out. Instead of negotiating a fair deal, Rob canceled games. Players stand together for our game, for our fans, there's the fans part, and for every player who comes after us. We owe it to the next generation. Mike Trout hit on a lot of the cliches, and Mike Trout's not necessarily at the front line of being a union rep like Max Scherzer as the face of baseball, 
But Mike Trout still is standing behind the Players Association in line and, you know, doing the bare minimum. He's not actively working against the union. And I don't know if that's like a uh, like a congratulations to Mike Trout thing. But baseball is such an interesting sport where Mike Trout can be middle of the road, not because Mike Trout doesn't want to upset corporate sponsors, but because Mike Trout just isn't interested in being famous. Mike Trout seems to be an incredibly simple guy from everything we've heard. Mike Trout like has a house in Los Angeles like on the uh, like beachfront house and he moves back to Philadelphia, New Jersey where his dad who is a former minor league baseball player lives like Mike Trout likes weather like that's the best thing we have on Mike Trout and when he retires we probably won't hear from him ever again and this is kind of similar to what I think about when it comes to Steph Curry to a certain extent is that Steph Curry gave up a chance to be Michael Jordan billionaire mogul because Steph Curry wanted to have a life and wanted to have balance in his life. And Mike Trout kind of does this too, where Mike Trout was good enough to be the national baseball star. And Mike Trout kind of doesn't want that, which is incredibly commendable because it seems like that would be a life chosen for you. No one looks up and says, I want to be the face of baseball. No one really says that when they grow up. And Mike Trout didn't want to be corporate shill guy, but he didn't really want any of this stuff, it seems like. There's no shame to that at all. In fact, it's commendable that that would be the path Mike Trout takes. I find it incredibly fascinating from the point of he's going to stand behind the Players Association and he's going to call out Rob Manfred for the Astros cheating scandal in line with the players. And every time Mike Trout puts his voice behind things, people like me are going to talk about it because this is the society we've decided where the best players in baseball carry the largest voice. And we've given Mike Trout that platform. He's sparsely used it, but he also hasn't used it to be actively pro-management in the past. Mike Trout doesn't have pro-management tendencies, and I think part of that is the regional nature of baseball, and part of it is Mike Trout's personality. And that part's incredibly fascinating for me, because I feel like I don't know very much about Mike Trout, and I think that's the way Mike Trout wants it. New sponsor alert, people. It's the good people over at Athletic Greens supporting this podcast. You can get 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens with one scoop a day of Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens has a special blend of ingredients that support your gut health, nervous system, immune system, boost your energy, as well as improving recovery times. You can reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. One scoop in a cup of water, and that's it. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D using the promo code believe B-L-E-A-V, at athleticgreens.com slash believe. By the way, the link to that is in the description to this episode. Go to athleticgreens.com slash believe and use our promo code at checkout. Athletic Greens, take ownership of your health. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. 
Before we get to our friend Juju, I want to talk about the Arizona Cardinals. And I know when we talk about the Arizona Cardinals, this should be a chance to bring in our friend Walter Mitchell and our friend Joe Camo to the podcast since they, you know, cover the Arizona Cardinals professionally. But on short notice, I did just want to talk about the Cardinals as another labor versus management situation, which seems to be the theme of this week on the podcast, but as another labor versus management conversation. I wanted to talk about what's going on with Kyler Murray because Kyler Murray is in a really compromised position. And again, I putting my bona fides out there or my leanings out there, it does take two to tango in a lot of these situations. And at the same time, management does not need your help. They have massive propaganda arms, way more power than the labor they're negotiating against. And a collection of billionaires can do almost anything they want against a group of people that have a lot of money but don't have the type of money to exert power and influence over billionaire dollars. And so Kyler Murray, it's it's really important to be pro-labor. Even if it takes two to tango in a practical sense, in the ideal or the optimal you should lean pro-labor because labor is getting incredibly screwed in being able to acquire means of production from people who control power. And so, like, the salary cap systems that exist in all sports, and baseball has a luxury tax threshold that acts as a salary cap, in the salary cap system, it is a means to suppress wages. The max contracts, or in the case of the NFL, contracts being a percentage of the salary cap, is essentially a max on player contracts. We can act practically, and we've done this for years. How much would you pay Dak Prescott? How much would you pay Jared Goff? How much would you pay Russell Wilson? How much would you pay Matt Ryan? All of it, we do conversations about contracts every single year. And what I've learned as years go on is if we keep having the same conversations over and over and over again of how much do you pay Kenny Galladay in the year before that? How much do you pay Dak Prescott on the franchise tag? Should you franchise tag Cam Robinson? Should you franchise tag Devontae Adams? If we have those same conversations over and over and over again, it ends up perpetuating the same cycle. So I want to talk about the pro Kyler Murray side of the Arizona Cardinals situation because I feel like a lot of people are coming to the Kyler Murray is not worth $45 million a year. Kyler Murray is not worth the equivalent of what Josh Allen gets. Kyler Murray should just play out his contract. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals shouldn't um, shouldn't give in at this point. And the statement from Kyler Murray's agent, which I wanted to read real quick, which is, I think, really poignant about the situation things are in. The Kyler Murray has I felt like gotten an unfair shake, not just from, you know, Cardinals fans, uh, but also from just national media as a whole and people really caring about Larry Fitzgerald's dad and what Larry Fitzgerald's dad has to say about Kyler Murray being spoiled. Um so one of the things I wanted to talk about with this with Kyler is Kyler Murray is staring down a hundred and fifty plus million dollars. If he ends up not going right now, he is risking the possibility of losing a hundred and fifty million dollars. And I'm not going to tell anybody 
that they should risk $150 million. I would hold out years if it meant I was risking $150 million. If I'm Kyler Murray, I'm not playing another goddamn game without a contract. Why? Because beginning on March 16th or March 18th, whenever the new league year starts, that's the first day Kyler Murray is eligible for a contract extension. And Kyler Murray has won Rookie of the Year, made two Pro Bowls, and all three years of his career finished top 10 in the league in passer rating. He was 7th as a rookie, 5th in his second year, and 7th last year. Kyler Murray, I saw um, Pro Football Focus do analysis that said Kyler Murray is as good in year three as he was in year one. Kyler Murray has not really improved year to year. And I look at that and say, Kyler Murray's a top eight quarterback in the NFL. Now that Tom Brady's retired, Kyler Murray's a top eight quarterback in the NFL and he hasn't gotten better since his rookie year. Like that is incredible. Like just from a talent standpoint, he is good enough to be a top eight quarterback the second he enters the NFL. And by the way, is only 24 years old. If I'm Kyler Murray, and I'm securing $250 million, but I can get $100 million no matter what. I'm signing up tomorrow to get that money. Because, yes, he could earn more, but an extra $20 million is not worth risking losing $150 million. Nobody is taking that bet. If you are sitting in Vegas and you can win $2 on a bet, but if you lose, you lose $15. Nobody's taking that bet. Kyler Murray should not play another goddamn game until he gets that contract extension from the Arizona Cardinals, and he should be willing to make things ugly to get out of Arizona because what this suggests, for better or for worse, is that the Arizona Cardinals don't want to play the big-time NFL game. And what does the big-time NFL game mean? When it comes to... NFL players getting contract extensions. The NFL doesn't technically have a max salary, but the NFL has the equivalent of a max salary, and it's about 20% of the salary cap for quarterbacks. It's about 14% of the salary cap for star defensive linemen, etc., etc., on down. The star quarterback is the only, because of the dollar values of the position, the quarterback is the only player who can sign a long-term contract that exerts authority over the franchise. Where not only are you signing for money, you are also accumulating power within your organization. And this is a newer concept. Like oh, It took LeBron James doing that and Kevin Durant doing it with the Brooklyn Nets and Giancarlo Stanton with the Marlins and Paul Goldschmidt, or not Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado with the, with the Colorado Rockies in baseball. It took all of those players making those moves and exerting that power to then have it trickle down to Tom Brady leaving the Patriots at 42 years old, Aaron Rodgers getting set to leave the Packers at 40 years old. Break base, Football players don't have the same levels of power as NBA players, but that's because a single NFL player can't change the fortunes of your franchise the same way a single NBA player can. And so, because of that, when you sign Kyler Murray, or you sign Dak Prescott, or you sign these people to long-term extensions, you are in essence also giving them a say over power within their organization, if that person is willing to exert their power. Russell Wilson, 
never really exerted his power behind the scenes until last year when he threatened to leave if they didn't get him an offensive lineman, and lo and behold, they traded for Gabe Jackson. And Dak Prescott hasn't really used that public leverage behind the scenes on the Dallas Cowboys yet, in part because Dak Prescott, after signing that extension, was coming off of a broken ankle. And by the way, the Cowboys already signed all of his friends anyways. The point still being that Aaron Rodgers has power over the Packers organization, whether he exerts it or not. Tom Brady has power there, whether he exerts it or not. His contract is set up in such a way where he doesn't have that level of power. Deshaun Watson, as cringy as it might be, has an extreme level of power over the Texans organization because the Texans would have traded him by now if Deshaun Watson had not had a no-trade clause. Kyler Murray will get a no-trade clause in his contract, and Kyler Murray will get the giant contract. But if the Arizona Cardinals aren't willing to give up the power and give up the money to sign Kyler Murray, then the Cardinals aren't interested in playing the big-time NFL game. And yes, there are concerns that Kyler Murray will not be a top-five quarterback in the NFL. Right now, he's in the Tier 2. Kyler Murray may never be a Tier 1 NFL quarterback. In fact, I would venture to say there's a good chance Kyler Murray won't be a Tier 1 quarterback in the NFL. I'd also argue if he's Tier 2 good, he's also good enough to make $40 million a year. The point still stands... Kyler Murray may never be Patrick Mahomes, and that doesn't matter because even if Kyler Murray bottoms out, Kyler Murray becomes, you know, Carson Wentz 2.0. He gets a, a catastrophic injury, and he's never the same player, and he's only a serviceable piece for the Cardinals for the next five years. Say he's a tier three quarterback after the fact because there, there's no scenario I see him becoming Jared Goff. There's just no scenario where that happens. The alternative for the Cardinals is to trade him now, which in essence, don't you want to find out if Kyler Murray is going to be that guy? Like, what is the point of trading or not giving Kyler Murray the extension now? Is it the possibility that he becomes Jared Goff? Well, if you trade him now, you're essentially saying he's going to be Jared Goff and you're starting the process all over again. The Arizona Cardinals have not had, as great as Larry Fitzgerald is, like, Larry Fitzgerald, Hall of Famer, as Gage Bridgeford told us, Larry Fitzgerald, great player, also a stat accumulator. Like, Larry Fitzgerald had a long career, doesn't make him the greatest wide receiver in the history of the NFL, and it's a position that doesn't have the same level of value. The point still being, Kyler Murray is the first player the Cardinals have had in 20 years, or 30 years, or 50 years, that is one of these players who is an elite game-changer of the NFL. And there's more of them now than there's ever been before. We talked about this with the quarterback position. For 10 years, there was only four great quarterbacks. And now there's eight great quarterbacks at one time. There's just a, a larger talent pool of great players, which means the Buffalo Bills are getting a quarterback for the first time in 30 years. The Cardinals are getting a quarterback for the first time in 30 years. The... Um, who else am I thinking of? Not the not the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks are getting a star quarterback for the first time in the history of their franchise. Sorry, Jim Zorn. Uh, the, 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 these teams are getting franchise Hall of Fame talent guys because there's just a few more of them in every draft class. 
And if we believe that it's a random chance that you get a generational talent, if there, if it's just happenstance that you luck into one of these generational talents, then more shots at the board mean more chances to get those guys, whether it be a Miles Garrett in Cleveland or whether it be a Joe Burrow in Cincinnati or, in this case, a Kyler Murray in Arizona. And some people maybe think, like, Kyler Murray is worse than Kirk Cousins or Kyler Murray is worse than Matthew Stafford. Those points are understandable, and if you go to that, I kind of get the argument of why you wouldn't want to pay Kyler Murray. Again, top 10 passer rating each of his first three seasons in the NFL. In fact, top eight in his first three seasons in the NFL. Kyler Murray is a great quarterback, and trading him means the Cardinals just don't want to play this game because the whole point of getting the franchise quarterback, which, again, it seems obvious to me that Kyler Murray even if he's not a tier one guy is very much a tier two quarterback. Like he is as good as Russell Wilson. He is as good as Dak Prescott. He is as good as these guys in the second tier. Don't you want to at least like as good as Joe Burrow? Don't you want to at least find out if something special is going to happen? And so for the Arizona Cardinals, I just don't understand why you don't want to be in this game. Do you want to be, these minor league football teams because the Cardinals like the Cardinals have been not quite as bad as the Raiders and not quite as bad as the Dolphins or the Lions or the Jaguars but the Arizona Cardinals have been like in a second group of really really bad for a long time like they are piss poor mediocre like the Chicago Bears they are like the uh, the New York Giants are now in that really terrible tier for the last 10 years. But the Arizona Cardinals are like, you have to name eight bad franchises before you get to the Cardinals. But there are also like 12 to 13 really poorly run franchises in the NFL. And the Cardinals are kind of in that group with like four playoff appearances in the last, or more recently. But, you know, they made the playoffs twice in 40 years. They made a Super Bowl run when everyone made a Super Bowl run in the NFC. Like, if you listed NFC successful teams, like, 1-16 to over the last 20 years, like, the ones that would be worse would be Washington, Minnesota, Detroit, Dallas, maybe Chicago. I'd put the Giants in there. But after that, then you kind of get to the Cardinals, who are like, you know, not that well run. Yeah, they made an NFC championship and a 9-7 and team went to a Super Bowl, but the Cardinals have, like, relative to NFL standards, have been teetering between this minor league team, like the Jets, Jaguars, and all them are, and a relevant NFL stable franchise. And Kyler Murray bridges that gap the same way Josh Allen bridges the gap for the Bills, the way Joe Burrow bridges the gap to relevance for the Bengals, and how Philip Rivers to Justin Herbert keeps the Chargers relevant for 20 years. Like, this is how you bridge the gap and avoid mediocrity is being one of the teams that wins the lottery of getting one of the, in the 2000s, four generational quarterbacks or five generational quarterbacks that exist at one time. And in the time now, the eight or nine or 10 NFL players who completely changed the game just by their mere presence being on the field. And so I don't understand why the Cardinals would want to give that up 
other than fear of it not working out, at which point don't you want to find out if it happens? Because I'm the person who said the Rams should 100% have traded Jared Goff, and I would have been right instead of giving him the extension. And I would have been wrong about Carson Wentz. There's a chance Kyler Murray never becomes a top five quarterback in the NFL or whatever you want to do the measurements by. Because Kyler Murray right now is a top eight quarterback, top nine quarterback. He's not top four. Like, he's not Mahomes. He's not Josh Allen. He will lose in the playoffs to Mahomes and Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson's teams, theoretically. But why don't you want to find out if it happens? And this comes on the day that the Cardinals gave Steve Keim and Cliff Kingsbury contract extensions. Which, by the way, the the Kingsbury contract doesn't mean jack shit. Like, it's a contract extension, but... The buyout language in there it doesn't doesn't mean jack shit what Cliff Kingsbury's contract situation is. They can fire him any day. It's a coach. Buyouts aren't that significant. Th- they can fire Cliff Kingsbury whenever they want. The Kime one is interesting because Steve Kime is already unpopular amongst Arizona Cardinals brass. And hit them getting the contract extensions when Kyler Murray can't get a whiff of a contract extension is something that... I point to and say, like, from a, I, I'm offended on behalf of Kyler Murray, but that's just my initial pro-management leaks. Like, I'm not actually that offended for Kyler Murray. It, I, If Kyler Murray isn't getting a contract extension, then this ends up being an incredibly bad situation for all parties involved because Kyler Murray now finds himself in a situation where He's kind of being run out by his own team. And honestly, it might be for the better if you're Kyler Murray because the Arizona Cardinals, having that guy on the day where also it was reported that Washington wanted to get in on the Josh Allen game. And there was a great quote that said, they could trade the entire team, the stadium, and the front office, and the Bills wouldn't make the trade for Josh Allen. Like Josh Allen transcends the Buffalo Bills. Before Josh Allen, the Buffalo Bills are piss-poor terrible for 20 years. They get Josh Allen, two AFC championships. Like, just Josh Allen being great, two AFC championships. And Brandon Bean, credit to him too. Like, Brandon Bean makes that whole thing work. But if if Tyrod Taylor is their quarterback, or if you go back to that draft class and say Baker Mayfield is their quarterback, say the Browns make the correct decision, like Blake Jude and I were talking about on Tuesday, take Josh Allen... Baker Mayfield becomes the quarterback of the of the Buffalo Bills. Like, tell me that the Browns and Bills aren't switching places just based on their quarterback situations. Maybe Buffalo has a couple more playoff appearances, but Buffalo loses in the playoffs without that generational talent. No matter how many Stephon Diggs or Tredavious Whites you give them, without the generational quarterback, Buffalo doesn't get that close. And so, this is... The fascinating part about this from the Cardinals standpoint is you can be lifted out of perpetual mediocrity with a player as good as Kyler Murray. The character concerns, fine. The work ethic concerns, fine. If there are work ethic concerns with Kyler Murray, and according to Pro Football Focus, he hasn't improved since his first year, imagine how good he's going to be when he actually improves. And if he doesn't improve... You've got a top eight quarterback for the next five to ten years. Sure, you're not going to be Super Bowl good, but it's really hard to be Super Bowl good. The way to become Super Bowl good is having Patrick Mahomes 
or having what the 49ers have, which is a shit ton of young players on rookie contracts making all pros. And that's the weird hack of the NFL is, oh, the Cardinals won't be able to compete with the salary cap. Yeah, because the salary cap is stupid. The salary cap is an incredibly stupid concept that rep- that suppresses wages and makes it so Kyler Murray can't make what he's actually worth. Because on a fair and open market, Kyler Murray would make like 60 to $70 million. Revenue sharing is 50-50 and, by the way, the salary cap suppresses people's wages. On a free and open market, Kyler Murray could make so much more than twenty than $257 million over six years because a franchise would be willing to give him ownership stakes and massive portions of their revenue just to have Kyler Murray play, just for the idea of Kyler Murray playing for their team because owners do ultimately use the salary cap. And this was the whole point, it, why it went in in collective bargaining. The salary cap is a method to suppress wages and labor negotiations have been fought many a times over the salary cap one's being fought right now in baseball kyler murray should get that money because it's not my money kyler murray is labor management i'm cool taking management's money it's not my money and by the way that money should be taxed at much higher rates than the zero percent many are paying right now so it's not my money to pay Let Kyler Murray make what he's worth because ultimately Kyler Murray is labor and the more power you give to labor, the more functional and better off society will be. And also, the more equal society will be. I know giving Kyler Murray $70 million doesn't sound like equality. It's more equal than the system that's created now where Kyler Murray's going to have to use all of his leverage, including burning his good name, to just get a somewhat fair market value. When it's not a real market because it's a market that has a salary cap. Can you think of anything better than peace of mind? I'm sure I could come up with a couple, but the point still stands. NordVPN is here to give you peace of mind while you are online. With all the threats that you face today on the internet, it's more important than ever to be sure you have the best VPN that you can get. You can get NordVPN on all of your computers and devices. With NordVPN's unlimited bandwidth, you never have to worry about a slow connection either. Plans start as low as $4 per month. And if you sign up today with the exclusive promo code BLEAVE, B-L-E-A-V, you can get 70% off your NordVPN plan and one additional month free. NordVPN is risk-free for 30 days. You will get your money back no matter what. To make it a little easier, use the link in the description to this episode to go to nordvpn.com slash believe. We do actually have a baseball headline that we wanted to touch on a little bit. Trevor Bauer, former Cy Young Award winner. We haven't heard about him for multiple months. Trevor Bauer um, is exonerated of any criminal charges in his ongoing battle with a woman that's accusing him of sexual chicanery. I don't know would be the right terminology there, which this is a big thing for Trevor Bauer. Trevor Bauer, I know, released his own statements, released a YouTube video talking about it, was suspended 
by the MLB for the latter half of the Dodgers run to the postseason. Obviously, when the Dodgers first acquired Bauer, they were thinking, okay, this is to build on a repeat World Series championship here. Now questions are just, is Trevor Bauer going to continue to be a active pitcher in Major League Baseball? And without criminal charges against him, I don't see a reason why he wouldn't be allowed to continue to pitch in the MLB. Now, the big question that's getting asked is, is he going to be allowed to continue to pitch in a Dodgers uniform? If you were in charge of the Dodgers, how do you handle the Trevor Bauer situation? So this is an interesting place that the Dodgers find themselves in right now, which is now that the legal situation has proceeded from a criminal standpoint, which again, the the point that I feel like is important to emphasize is that the possibility of pursuing criminal charges is a higher bar than nothing happened at all. And this is something that people have been good about talking about during this Trevor Bauer case, which is it's a very high bar to end up proving in court that you can pursue criminal charges against Trevor Bauer. And so uh, I wouldn't take Trevor Bauer's seven minute video titled The Truth at face value that is currently up on YouTube right now. I wouldn't necessarily take that at the same face value of the fact that nothing happened, which is the the part that Trevor Bauer and his legal team are going to start to conduct because it's beneficial for him to end up starting his career again. If you're the Dodgers standpoint, now that the legal situation appears to be out and now it's just a Major League Baseball investigation, which ultimately I don't think Major League Baseball is going to bring charges about on Trevor Bauer for like a suspension against the domestic violence rule. Maybe they'll do something of this sort. Um, they obviously got Aroldis Chapman with a, I think it was like a 81 game suspension, which was remarkably surprising at the time. Um, even though Aroldis Chapman's victim, I believe it was his either girlfriend or partner, um, refused to press charges against him at the time. Regardless, I think baseball can get away with it, it, it depending on what the conduct, the results of their investigation are of giving him a laxer punishment. And at that point, it's up to the Dodgers whether or not they want him representing the organization. And this is a really difficult point that they're going to have to figure out over the next few months as the Major League Baseball investigation, which I put in air quotes, comes to a close, is that if he gets a level of punishment from the NFL, which, or I'm sorry, from the MLB, uh, if if you want to connect this to Deshaun Watson as well, we're in a similar type of situation where he might not get criminal charges pursued because the bar is very high in the state of Texas for uh, criminal sexual assault. But also we kind of expect he'll get a suspension from the NFL, whether it's eight or 16 or whatever it ends up being, we're not sure. But similar situation with Bowers that criminally he's been cleared of wrongdoing at this point. So they're not going to have him go to jail. The woman I believe is not pursuing financial compensation. I think she requested a restraining order and it was denied because they live in different cities now. And so they felt the restraining order was unnecessary. So at this point, it seems like the legal matter is going to pass by. The Dodgers are kind of just looking at this of can, I mean, again, the cold hearted fact, do we want our sports teams to have a moral compass? If we take all of the morals and ethics out of this now and put it strictly in a baseball perspective, it is, does Trevor Bauer provide us enough value to take the negative PR of having him start games for them? And I I think the question that I have to ask with the moral compass argument is what is the moral compass of uh, something of this nature? Because there's such a gray area with consent and they both agreeing to have this type of relationship based around rough sex, as it's often been described. How do we kind of litigate that um, by the standards of a baseball team? Because obviously, if he had some other kink that was less pain inducing, we would probably not come down on him. We found out 
he had some over-the-top foot fetish or was into skep play or something along that nature, it would be a non-story. Well, it might be a story, but it might be one we laugh at since it's mm-hmm. something in which someone's getting physically harmed. And that's the whole reason for, of course, the legal proceedings that followed. How do we kind of look at this guy moving forward when it comes to can he be part of our baseball team? Because it's his sexual kink, which we told people to not shame people's kinks, right? That's something that's been talked about a lot more in recent society, like letting people be themselves, aside from if they're hurting someone in a non-consenting manner. So one of the important parts of this is that besides of the allegations that were brought about in court, there's been really well done reporting by, I don't have it in front of me right now, and I don't want to misquote some of this, but there's been really good reporting done by journalists that talk about, you know, Trevor Bauer potentially like fracturing ribs and concussing the woman as they were going about like really gruesome details that are done in journal in like journalistically credible reporting and in this case. And that goes into obviously you can't consent for someone to kill you right you can't Mm -hmm. consent for someone to help you with your suicide uh we have standards such as statutory if you're underage you can't consent to things sexually so this would kind of fall into that parameters in a way because you're actually causing physical harm to someone even if they're asking for it that's kind of just like damn dude like i don't envy the situation to be put in it just what do you do? So this is so this is the part again. I wish I had the reporting in front of me because then I would just read directly from the story. Um, I just didn't have the time to pull it up in front of me for this story. And the the details in there kind of convinced me. Just the idea that very clearly something happened here that is morally objectionable uh, from the standpoint of just a woman feeling unsafe in having sex. What was previous was a sexual encounter with consent originally ends up becoming something that. That requires her to want to file a restraining order and pursue criminal charges on behalf of her protection. And I think, you know, just personally from my morals and, you know, my ethics in this point, I, one of the things that I actually find very important when we do this talking is we do a really shitty job in society of protecting women, not just in the workplace, but also in situations like what we're talking about with Trevor Bauer and Deshaun Watson and the lawsuit going on at LSU right now. That's just something that I personally value a lot. And so when we're having this conversation, it's difficult to talk about what the moral obligation of the Dodgers is relative to like our personal moral obligations. And I think this kind of teeters back and forth because again, it's very clearly detailed reporting about what Trevor Bauer did to this woman that you know, if all proven to be true, you could kind of build a case for Trevor Bauer needs some level of accountability, whether criminally or not. It's a very high bar to judge criminal sexual assault in this context. It's a really high bar and usually requires repeated incidents, especially when you're also going up against someone with infinite resources. Well, here's what the judge said. If she set limits and he exceeded them, this case would be very clear, but she set limits without fully considering all the consequences. Uh, The judge in this case was referring to the messages of wanting all the pain, in quotes. Uh, Mm -hmm. In a written exchange, petitioner, the accuser, said that she wanted all the pain. Those were her words. Should respondent Bauer have believed her? And I I think that's why this one is such a tough one. And if I, you know, I'm a judge and I'm trying to look at this objectionably, I have these texts to go off of, aside from their own accounts that they vocalized. And these texts are pretty damning, right? Like if you're trying to pursue like extra additional action, because you're telling the guy, in this case, Trevor Bauer, I want all the pain. And do I agree with what 
he eventually went on to go do. No, but that's also because I don't subscribe to Trevor Bauer's sexual preferences yeah, or understand and, them. And again, I, I wish I had the reporting here so I could go based off of it. I'm like trying to find it as we go. But one of the things was the text messages uh, that were ending up sent to the Los Angeles Times where the woman uh, talked about when she was texting with her cousin, quote, in response to a photo of her injured face, quote, as long as it is consensual, I don't have to kill him. And then the woman replied, it was consensual, but I didn't like the two black eyes, question mark, question mark. Look, he definitely took it too far, don't you think? So those are just like, again, I only have so much detailed reporting here. I'm trying to find it because it's it's obviously if you type Trevor Bauer into Google right now, the things that keep coming up are Trevor Bauer, you know, the stories from two days ago instead of the reporting that was done back in June and July about concussions being given and black eyes and broken ribs and situations like that. It's really difficult to judge this. And I don't want to do the moral compass game on this more so than personally not the biggest fan of Trevor Bauer and per- personal accountability is accountability in some way, shape or form is important. This is the thing I talked about with Deshaun Watson is like, I'm not the moral arbiter on this situation. When 23 women come forward accusing Deshaun Watson, it's really hard to have a, he said, she said, she said, she said, she said, she said, she said, all the way down to 23. She said, it's like very clearly there is something there. I just don't know what the moral compass is. And ultimately just a natural human instinct is that we want someone else to take the morals out of our hands and be the moral compass for us. It's why we create laws. It's why we put faith in institutions and why we sometimes turn to corporations to sometimes hand out punishment. We try and pressure Major League Baseball to try and issue some sort of punishment. It's like, well, if they're not going to face criminal charges because they're rich and powerful and they're not going to face Deshaun Watson, the uh, civil court, if they're not going to face a civil suit because they're also rich and powerful and they can just pay money in compensation. But you would then also say what is the measure of accountability? Poor sadists too that have this same type of king, right? Yes, but this feels different from the reporting I've seen on this story. It feels different because we know the guy. It feels different because of the reporting I read six months ago that I'm trying actively to find so that I can read directly from, but I haven't been able to find it on the internet recently because I don't remember who published it. But that's the part that felt different for me is credible journalism that's been done around this story leads me to believe there is very clearly something here. It's somewhere between it's not able to be proven in court criminally and between nothing happened. I just don't know exactly where along in there it happened. And I don't know whether Trevor Bauer missing an entire season, but still getting paid. Essentially what happened to Deshaun Watson this year, which is you get paid, but you don't get to play for half a season and whatever other punishment Major League Baseball is going to hand down. I'm not sure whether that's a fair punishment or not for Trevor Bauer. I Again, if I say it's possibly a fair punishment. Someone else might come in and say it's not enough given the state of affairs and the legal process and all of that stuff. I think we're going to come to a more concrete resolution somewhere soon here. I'm just not sure if whatever the decision is, it's going to be correct because again, this is morals. It's very difficult to judge what is fair and what is not in figuring this out. Like I 
don't know if two sexual encounters that may or may not have been sexual assault, but very clearly something happened here that leaves a woman battered and beaten and so scared that she wants to file a restraining order and pursue criminal charges against a rich and powerful person, which takes a lot of strength to do. I'm not sure where the bar is on that. And Trevor Bauer's already served, what, like 70 something games plus a playoff run of paid leave. It's like basically being suspended. So it's like, how much more are we just adding a hat on the hat with his suspension? It's not exactly being suspended because he still got paid. If he were suspended, he wouldn't get the money for those games. So he still got his $22 million. So it's not quite the suspension there. It's just he doesn't get to do this thing that he loves. Or or Trevor Bauer doesn't really love baseball in that way. Trevor Bauer's talked about how he, he was just always very good at it, but he's not actually an athlete. But he doesn't get to do his job. He still gets paid to do it. He just doesn't get to do the job. He still gets paid for the job. He just doesn't get to do it. And so is basically the choice for Trevor Bauer. Either you love baseball more or you love SM play more. No, because you don't have to love baseball to be great at baseball. You can still be an amazing baseball player without having the love of the game or all that propaganda that gets sold to us a lot. That's why I love Tim Anderson, who's like, no, I don't really like baseball. I'm just really, really good at it. And I can make millions of dollars playing it. You don't have to love baseball. Uh, you do have to respect women. That part, I think, is something we should absolutely put out there. Okay, well, I'll end this on a joke then. What's the difference between a sadist and a dentist? Oh, boy, this is going to be dark. Let's hear what it is. Newer magazines. Ba-da-da-da-da-da. Ah, nice. I, you know what? That is that is a five out of ten joke. I thought I was scared in the moment. I'm like, oh, is this gonna be is this gonna be something really dark? I'll give that to you. That is a that is a that is a pr- okay joke. That is a pretty good joke. Not easy transitioning off of Trevor Bauer and all this craziness, but we'll, we'll guess we'll see what more transpires once the Dodgers get the story. But all right, and well, Major we- League Baseball hands out a suspension. Also, that's probably the next step is once Major League Baseball hands out a, spe- a suspension. We'll find that out in the months to come if we have a baseball season. All right, guys. At Slumpuster Podcast on IG, at Slumpuster Pod on Twitter. Go ahead and check out our TikTok, at Slumpuster Pod as well. Leave a five-star review. Go ahead and leave a like on this video. Comment below thoughts on the show, thoughts on any of these situations, whether it be the trade deadline, Trevor Bauer, or Brady to the Niners. (laughs) Anyway, guys, stay safe, happy, and healthy, and we'll see you on the next one.